Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Disruptive Voices. My name is Catriona Gold, and you're listening to UCL Grand Challenges mini-series on critical global health. Today, I'm speaking with Professor Shaba Jaffa, who is the director of UCL's Institute for Global Health. Thank you for joining me today, Shaba. Thank you. Right. As you know, we're speaking today as part of UCL's Grand Challenge of Global Health, which is supporting an initiative to connect and advocate for critical global health scholarship at UCL. And as part of that, we're trying to establish how UCL scholars are understanding and working with the concept of critical global health. So, Shaba, that's my first question to you. What do you see as a critical approach to global health? What are the key issues we need to be thinking about for approaching global health critically? I think there are many. On the science side, I think it's critical that we address questions that are relevant to the settings that we're working in. And they are questions where we can have a health impact. And then I think it's also important, not just the questions that we address, and those questions need to be addressed rigorously, but not just the questions that we address, but the way in which we address them. So in other words, we address them in an inclusive way, in equitable partnerships with the different stakeholders, which includes other researchers, policymakers, patient groups, community leaders, and others. I know you have a lot of experience working sort of internationally, which presents particular challenges, maybe opportunities for pursuing work or trying to pursue work in an equitable fashion. I wonder if you could talk a bit more about how you've approached these questions in your recent work? Well, we've been very lucky. You know, we try to address areas that are really high priority, diseases that cause a very high burden. We address those together with our partners. We discuss the priorities together. And our partners are, of course, research partners, policymakers, what's important to the Ministry of Health and the policymakers, but also patient groups, patient groups and communities. So we've been very lucky that we've been able to address questions that are really pertinent and change as well over time, change as the disease profiles change in my work is in Africa, change as the disease profiles change, we've changed as well. So for example, Early on in my career, I was working mostly on HIV because that was the priority. More recently, I've expanded that. I still work on HIV, but now I work much more on non-communicable diseases, on cardiovascular disease, on diabetes, and we're now actually moving towards mental health. And maybe much later on, we'll be thinking about going into climate change and health. Walk me through how you approached this question of creating an equitable partnership or equitable partnerships across various sort of contexts in these sort of big international projects. If you could walk me through how you approach creating equitable partnerships in a big international project. I know you have a really interesting short article in Times Higher Education from last year, which I think raises some really interesting sort of general principles coming out of your work. Tell me about how you work those out in that project you were discussing. Yeah, so I think the equitable partnerships has come natural to me and people working in our group for a very long time. And I think the first thing in an equitable partnership is why do you want to make it equitable? Why do you want to make it an inclusive partnership? Be very clear on that and think about that and discuss that with your partners. 
lots of people go into what they call equitable partnerships, but it's just words. You know, you've got to be very clear. Why is it, you know, what is going to make this partnership better if it is equitable? And in a sense, it is that you're going to be able to do better work and achieve higher impact. And then you've got to define, well, what is equitable? And there you do need discussion and you do need to visit that discussion again and again. So what is equitable for the different partners? You know, how I define equitable might be quite different to how my partners define equitable. You've got to know, you know, it's like in any relationship, you've got to know what's important to me and I've got to know what's important to you and we've got to monitor that. So those are very basic principles. But I think there are also other things that you have to think about as well. You've got to be very clear in your mission, in your scientific mission. So there's no point in being all equitable and inclusive, but not knowing what you're doing in the science and in the research. So you've got to be very clear. What is the mission? Why is it that mission? There's got to be a vision there. There's got to be a strategy linked to that vision. And I think you've got to keep talking about these things. And often what we do, which is wrong, is we just get straight down to the question, whatever the question is, and home in on that. But these higher level things need discussion, need consideration. I mean, something you write about is the importance of this communication in even establishing what the project is setting out to do. And also, I think an interesting point that you raise is the question of often research will be multidisciplinary, but there needs to be a conversation about why it's going to be multidisciplinary and and sort of what each discipline is going to bring to the table and how you're going to work together, right? You can't sort of just throw these commitments. I think the way you talk about these things is quite concrete. It's something that needs to be worked out as part of producing a practical program for research is really compelling as well. And there's a certain amount of humility that's involved in having an equitable partnership, isn't there? I wonder if you could talk a bit about how you do approach finding out what is important or seeking the insight of different groups participating in projects. So like I think you mentioned beyond researchers, patients, healthcare providers, and policymakers. How do you go about involving them in discussions and people who might have quite different backgrounds or levels of training? What kind of challenges arise in those contexts? And what are strategies for actually having a more sort of equal conversation? So again, I think the starting point is that you have to know why you're doing that consultation and you have to believe in it. If you feel you don't need that consultation, you don't need that voice, then don't do it for the sake of it, you know. So in our case, we consult with, for example, patients. Patients sit on our steering groups and they sit on our various committees, including decision-making committees, because we know and we've learned over the years that when they're involved, their input is valuable. They make the research better. They make us ask the questions better and they make us do the research better. They help us. So you've got to have that kind of respect and that level of understanding that by involving these different individuals that you will learn something and that you will do what you're trying to do better by involving them in an inclusive way. So that occurs for all your stakeholders. And in my case, the stakeholders are patients, their community leaders, their healthcare providers, they're policymakers. So they're very different groups of people, but they do bring different things and different important things to the table. And you've got to respect that. You've got to understand that is 
adding something. Going back to the multiple disciplines, often our work in global health involves multiple disciplines, and those disciplines are actually at UCL. So it's usually our team that is multidisciplinary, and teams in my work, certainly in Africa, there are fewer disciplines. So we bring multiple disciplines. So we will have, for example, clinicians, epidemiologists, statisticians, health economists, social scientists working together. And the first thing you've got to do is get your own house in order and make sure that that relationship is equitable and they feel equally valued. And that's really critical. You can't have a broader equitable partnership if in your group they feel that they're being treated differentially or being being less valued than others. Absolutely. And I think this maybe connects to another point I think we've previously discussed, which is the need for the partnership to be sustainable for the UK institution, or sorry, not necessarily the UK institution, you could you could say Northern institution, but we're talking about UCL here. You can go in with very lofty ambitions, but you have to square them with the context in which you're working. So what kind of constraints do you encounter when trying to put these sort of projects together? Yeah, I'm not sure if I see them as constraints, but I think what you have to consider is, again, both sides have to be kept happy in this. Both sides have to have equality. And so in the case of institutions, there has to be gain for UCL and there has to be gain for the partners, in my case, in Africa. And as long as that's balanced, that relationship will remain sustainable. And, you know, it'll never be completely balanced. It can have a little bit of up and down over the years, but it's got to even out. And as soon as, let's say, UCL starts to, there's a feeling that it's taking more than it's giving or more than it's due, or the other way around, that the money is much more of it is going to the African institutions than it is to us and we're doing all the work. Let's say as an example, as soon as that imbalance occurs, there's just much more going to one institution than in another and that puts that institution in difficulty, then that relationship starts to run into difficulty. So I have seen relationships where with very good intents, partners in the North, in the UK, form that partnership so that 80-90% of the funding will go to the African partners. In the long run, that's no good to the African partner because that relationship is not sustainable. It works for a while, but it can't be sustained. You know, So you've got to work out a sustainable model here in terms of how funding flows. I think that's also true of the outputs as well. That's got to be equitable too. If, for example, we take all the first authorship papers and our partners in Africa, they're not getting that, they're kind of middle authors on papers, then that again is not sustainable. There has to be equality and you have to work out how you're going to do that equality in both the funding and the research outputs. Right. I mean, something else you discuss, which is, I think, related, is the importance of building trust and sort of trusting that duties and responsibilities, activities are divided up and sort of building trust that they will actually be done, right? It's not about one institution sort of trying to spearhead everything and push it through. It really is about actually approaching things together, if I understand correctly, when you're trying to build trust across unequal contexts. And I think there's an interesting point you make on this question of sharing of outputs, that you need to be giving credit to different partners, but also it's an opportunity to 
address different levels of training or different norms around presenting research or what have you can be addressed by, say, having people co-author, co-develop proposals, that kind of thing, so that it's not just, okay, we're better at this over here and we're going to do that and you do this other thing that you're better at, that you actually, you have an emphasis on co-developing things and on training and actually trying to have everyone working on the same page. Does that sound like an accurate summary? Yeah, no, I think in some ways, you know, going back to the trust question. So I think when I was much younger in my career, I've only ever worked in global health and I would go to partners in Asia, was then in Africa, and I'd be very impatient to get going on the research. I was very clear on my research question. I wanted to get going and I had a plan for that question and I had the plan for where that will go, what the next question would be in three or four years' time and where that could end up in five or six years' time. And I learned over time, actually, no, the first thing you've got to do is to build trust between yourselves. And that actually does take time. It doesn't happen overnight. And in some cases, you know, the partners that you're working with have worked previously in difficult relationships with difficult partnerships. And so in those cases, it will take even more time. And you've got to understand that. So what we do now is we allow time for that partnership building. And then that occurs from meetings, from in-person contacts, from regular meetings, frequent meetings, so that, you know, you're talking to each other, the trust is building. You cement it once you've gone through funding and you've gone through papers and people can actually see that you have tried to be fair all along. But you've got to give time to it as well. And you've got to realise that actually building trust here is the first and foremost important thing here before I can do the things that I want to do in global health, which are very many. So give time to building that trust. In terms of sharing of papers and sharing of grants, I think I am better than writing, sorry to be unmodest, I am better at writing both the grants and the papers. And I know that if I wrote all the grants in our partnership, the success rate would be much higher. But that doesn't build equitable partnerships. So what we try to do, what I try to do, is we really help people, partners, write both papers as first authors and grants as first authors. And in some cases, you will get to a point where you see a grant and you think, this is going to fail because of the skills of the partner. And if I had this in my hand, it would succeed. You know. So even when you feel that, it's really important to support the partner, see it through, even if it fails, because they and you've got to go through a certain level of failure to get good. So the easy thing to do is to write the thing yourself. But what's critically important is that is shared. And through that sharing, you will build capacity, but you'll build trust as well. So communication and sort of trust building from start to end, really, Mm. in a nutshell, these sound like the, the crucial issues. But I mean, I also found really interesting the way you stress the importance of giving people a place in sort of structuring the the project itself rather than just giving them a sort of seat at the decision-making table at a later stage. So it's about structuring things so that different stakeholders are involved in the planning stages and not just in the final stages of decision-making or something like that, where it's like that sort of reduces the amount of agency people have over the process. I wonder if you'd like to say anything about that for us to close on. Well, I think many of my partners actually don't really care about a seat at the decision-making table. 
They do have one, don't get me wrong, and that is kept equal. But do they really care about it? You know, do they really want it? They do want it, they care a bit about it. What they care about more is that they get out of that partnership what they want. And what they want more than a seat at the decision-making table, if you like, is in some cases it is the building of capacity and is the working in partnership, the working alongside each other. So and you've got to be aware of that. And so I've seen so many examples where African partners will have a seat at the table. They'll have a great seat at the table, but they can't do anything with it, you know, because they've got no capacity. They've got no ability to be equal with you. And so you've got to kind of work on that. Just giving them one bit of this equality aspect, as it were, is not enough. You know, equality is much broader than that, much, much broader than just decision making. And I I think there again, you'll get it right as long as you're very clear why you're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Well, there's so much more we could discuss, but I think that's a great place for us to end. Thank you so much for sharing your insight with us, Shaba. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed this. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by Katriona Gold and produced by the UCL Grand Challenges team with the help of Professor Sarah Gibbon, Professor Megan Vaughan, and Nina Quaj. Today's guest was Professor Shaba Jaffa, and the music is by David Seste. If you'd like to hear more perspectives on this concept of critical global health, please check out the other short podcasts in this series. For a longer listen, you can head to the UCL Grand Challenges YouTube page to find a recent interdisciplinary roundtable discussion on this topic with scholars from across UCL. For more episodes of Disruptive Voices, visit UCL Minds or follow us on Twitter at, at @grandchallenges. Grand Challenges.